I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. In light of this being the last days, in light of the fact that perhaps the Lord is stirring some of you maybe to do something in some way. I don't mean leave the country, but I mean maybe something that God is stirring you up to do. Maybe it's the people across the street or witnessing to your parents or witnessing to your neighbor or somebody at work or maybe going somewhere on a trip or doing something maybe you've never done before, something you would like to have done but never considered yourself able or talented enough or whatever enough. I want to refresh you tonight on a, on a wonderful promise that every Christian, every Christian ought to be familiar with, but a verse that very, very few Christians, I suspect, really believe. Paul said it this way. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Now, you should say amen to that. Because that is a clear word of God to his people. It's simply stated. There's nothing difficult about it. The longest word is strengtheneth. And we could just say make strong. I can do all things through Christ who pours in me his strength, making me able to do what he wants. I can do that. We need to know that in this hour, as God is choosing people to follow him, maybe places they've never been, perhaps do things they've never done or saw themselves able or qualified to do. We've never been to school. We can't quote the Bible. We haven't been a Christian very long. We don't know how to do a lot of things yet. Even though we've been in church most of our lives, we still don't feel like we're qualified. But that becomes an excuse. And a lot of people use excuses like that. You know, Paul, they said of him, he was a little fella, and well, nobody wants a little preacher. Or his speech was contemptible, they said. Even Paul described himself once as being crude of speech. He was not a gifted speaker, apparently. As though you have to be. As though that's a necessary requirement to preach. It's not even necessary. God can make out of anybody he chooses an anointed vessel who can proclaim the word in a way that gifted people can't. Because it's God who does all of this. We should be, if we remind ourselves, I have been bought with a price. I am not my own. Paul spoke this way. He said, I've been purchased. I belong to him. And it's his right to use me any way he wants to use me. Now, of course, he's going to prepare me. He's going to put me somewhere to learn the word because a workman, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, remember that? A workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. So we have to study. I mean, we have to do that. You don't have to do that to have a testimony. Nobody's testimony has to be a sermon. It's what God did for you. It's what he is doing for you, you tell your neighbor. It's not a doctrinal thing. It's not about me correcting you. It's me telling you what Jesus Christ did for me. 
I mean, years ago, I used to wonder, how could I go in a church and share my feeble testimony with anybody? I don't know enough about the Bible. Then I realized God didn't send me there on those nights to preach to somebody. He said, tell them what the Lord has done for you. Remember the story of the Gadarene demoniac and was it Mark 5? This man, they couldn't contain him. He could break chains and he scared people and he would howl in the wilderness. And when Jesus came to that man and he was delivered from all these demons, remember what the man said? He said, I want to go with you. Why wouldn't he? I would too. Jesus said, no. You go back to your friends and to your home and you tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. If you're a Christian, God has done something wonderful for you and to you. He has done something wonderful in your heart. It doesn't have to be a long message, but it's a message that you can give about your life. It's your testimony. We should never make excuses for that. Well, nobody would be interested in telling what I did. Well, then nobody's interested in God doing anything in your life. We all have a testimony. All of us do. If you don't, you need to be saved. Some of us could go on for a long, long time about how, how ugly as sinners we were. Some of you young folks probably couldn't understand. But some of us in here that are a little older than you were pretty rank sinners. I was the worst one in this room tonight. Somebody says, no, I was. Well, then we both know that. Like Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the least of all the saints. I wouldn't pick me to preach, he might say this. I wouldn't pick me to preach or send me anywhere because I'm not what people want or look for. But he impacted the whole world because God used that little fellow to write half the New Testament. So I think we're in a time maybe God is stirring us up to look outside of ourselves or our little comfortable surroundings and see if perhaps God has something beyond all of this for us. Now, again, we are excuse-making people. We're afraid. We're afraid of what people might think about us. We're afraid we might fail. We're afraid we won't do it good. We're afraid we won't measure up. We're sort of afraid that we might just be embarrassed some way. We're not smart. We might say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I would pale in light of others I've heard, and I'm just not much to do anything. Or you might say, I'm just real busy. I got a lot to do. I'd like to do all those things, but I don't have time. Or you might say, you know, I'd, it'd be good to do all them things you talk about, but I'm just not sure I can. Even after 20 years of being, in, being a Christian, I'm not sure that I can. See, we're good at making excuses for why we can't do all things through Christ because I don't know if we're really aware that he really does strengthen us, that he really is our enabler that what we are or what we become or how God advances us is not because of human strength, it's because of something God does. It's something that God brings about and something that, that God causes to happen. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? See, most of us recognize or will admit, unless you're proud, you will admit that you're weak. Now, if you don't know that, you haven't been anywhere yet. Uh, even some of the most gifted people in the ministry, some of the best, the ones that write the books and are on all the programs, 
who seem to be able, people think, you can just preach anytime you want to, just a drop of a hat. And yet sometimes there's those humbling moments in your life when God allows the anointing to not come. And you stumble over your words, you stumble over your name, things happen. Sometimes there's another reason why you do that. It's not always because of a lack of preparation or lack of anything else. It could be other hindrances in the church. If you don't take authority over that, then it's, they get to operate. How many of you know there could be demonic spirits in a place that could hinder the work? There could be. But sometimes God just humbles us because, you see, a part of our preparation to be the kind of people that he wants is that we have to be humble people. We can't be proud. When we're real concerned about what somebody thinks about us, or I'm afraid that if I speak and I fall flat on my face, oh, what would people think? We're so concerned about how, what people think that we're actually proud. I'm refraining from admitting that I can do all things through Christ because just in case I really couldn't, then I don't want to be embarrassed. So we just sort of hold back. And yet it takes a humbling experience to break down the pride. So this is the message of the New Testament saint being refined and purged and, and prepared for the coming of the Lord. God has to get all this stuff out of us. I think we've come to the time in our life after a lot of teaching that we're about to go to the school of hard knocks or the school of humility, whatever you want to call it, where God is going to finish his finishing touches and when he gets through with us, if he does want to send you somewhere, you'll never fail him. You'll never be concerned about whether you do any good or not because it's not you that do it. It's Christ in you that does the work. And you quit being so afraid of what people think because you're more concerned about what Jesus thinks. And you want to do things his way and walk in the light that he gives and please him. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Weakness is a funny sounding Greek word which means lack of strength. That is, unable to do things the way it's supposed to be done as God would have it done. Now that kind of weakness is lodged in all of us because the truth of it is, Without him, we can't do anything the way he wants it done. None of us can. But if a person can't admit this, then he'll never experience God's strength. It's when you reach the end of your road that his strength becomes necessary for you to continue on. You know what I'm saying? That you need what he gives. But that's all you need because I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. The devil can't be bigger than I am. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And you will conquer whatever demonic forces come your way. Depression, oppression, unforgiveness, all kinds of things that people hang on to that just keeps them in the drugstore. Trying to get a peace of mind and they have to take drugs and everything. It's just demonic. God will deliver us from all of that because the strength and the ability that it takes is from Christ. We'll get to that at point two. But he said, my strength, mine's in red. Is yours in red letter? Well, these are the words of Christ. He said, my strength is made perfect or finds its completeness in weakness. Now, if you don't think you need the Lord, 
you'll never experience your strength. If you're doing ministry work, if you've never come to the place where you recognize that you can do nothing, or you may get approval of some people because you're clever with words, but you're going to get nothing that pleases God and honors him without him. You just won't do it. It isn't going to work that way. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:34 that out of weakness, many were made strong. There's a principle the Bible teaches that weakness is a place you come to as a person in attempting to do spiritual things. It's like weakness causes you to reach the end of your road and admit you can't do it. And all the great ones in the Bible, all the great ones through history that I have read, their life stories, whoever they are, the ones especially on the missionary fields, the Hudson Taylors and so forth, all of these men had a time in their life when they reached the end of their ability. They just couldn't. They wanted to give up and go back. I can't do it. I failed miserably. And that's in those times that God comes into their life and he says, will you quit trying to do this now? Will you recognize that you can't and would you just yield to me and trust me one day at a time and let me do the work? I didn't call you by mistake. I'm not sending you somewhere to fail and to come up short. I'm sending you somewhere to get my glory in your life. But not if you're seeking it yourself. Not if you're concerned about your performance. Not if you're concerned about how many people got saved, what kind of results you got. He might say to you that Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm just a child. And yet he never had a convert. He didn't have any friends. His whole nation rejected him. But God gave him a head like flint. Remember that? He gave him the ability to not look at all the looks at all the people. He just gave him a message and he had a heart to preach it no matter what. One time Jeremiah said, is chapter 20, I think, he said, Lord, every time I open my mouth, it's turn or burn. He said, people are all upset with me. They all hold me in derision. And I said, I will not speak in this name anymore. Then he goes on to say, yet your word was inside of me like fire in my bones. Now, folks, there's a lot of people that have the word in them, but it doesn't burn. Now, there's reasons it doesn't. Not everybody's Jeremiah. But when God has a mission for a man like Jeremiah, who's going to stand in the place he does in biblical history with his nation falling apart, he's got to have a man that won't cut and run. He's got to have a man that won't quit. He's got to have a man who has all of his attention on God and is convinced that God cannot fail. No matter what happens to me, God is altogether right and the world is altogether wrong. Amen. And he held his hand to the plow and didn't even mind dying. He didn't say this, but I've been bought with a price. I have no rights to my life to say I don't want to do that or I'm not going there or it's too much, too hard, too far, too hot, too cold, too slow, too old. I'm not going to do that. He wants to send me there. He knows what he's getting. I believe this. I believe that everybody in this room, every one of y'all in this room that God has saved knew what he was getting when he saved you. Knew exactly what he was getting. Well, I agree with you. I don't know why either. If you're thinking, why do you pick me? I don't know. I ask myself the same question. 
I'm not going to say I could have done better than the Lord did, but I thought many times, well, I grew up with a lot of people better qualified to do this than I am, but nobody's qualified to do this. It's the anointing that gets it done. And you have to learn this. You have to learn that. When you learn that, it's a wonderful, marvelous truth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But to experience his strength, I have to recognize my lack of it. I have to recognize my lack of it and humble myself under the mighty hand of God and be willing, no matter the consequences, to walk in the direction that he leads me. Because God didn't save me so I could fail. God didn't save me so I could dry up and backslide. God didn't save me so I could fold my arms in a comfortable church the rest of my life and do nothing. God didn't save me to ignore the, the need of my children or my family or my neighbors or other members of the church. He didn't save me to just be concerned about my own little kid. He saved me for a greater purpose. Nobody in this room is saved by mistake. God knew what he was getting when he got me. He knew what he was getting when he got you. And he's brought us through all these years, I believe, to these last days, this end time, when things really are beginning to accelerate. I mean, they really, really are. And there's never been a time like this. Never. Not with technology, not with the threats of nuclear wars, not with meanness and hatred like it is today, not with ugliness and, and men exalting themselves and lovers of self and haters of God. Never a time like this time. Never. And in this particular time, God is preparing us not to be alarmed at all the things that are coming, but to be assured that God is as strong in difficult times as he is in non-difficult times. We're not called to worry. We're not called to be defeated. We're not called to give up and, and flee, but to keep our hands on the plow until the field is finished. He's called us to do that. And I believe, as he said, we can do all of those things. Our strength is in Jesus Christ. That's what he does. He enables us, he grants us, and he gives us his ability to do whatever he wants us to do. Now, there's three things I want to talk about tonight in this verse. Three points I want to make. First of all, is what can I do? Secondly, is... How can I do it? And thirdly is when can I do it? This is as simple a message as I can think of. Well, next to maybe being born again. But this is so simple, yet it's so profound. Even though it's simple, it is rejected by so many Christians. How many Christians do you know would willingly admit that in Christ or through Christ, I can do anything he's called me to do? Now, this doesn't mean when we get to this first point that says, what can I do? Simply, it means I can do anything that God directs me to do or has given me to do. It doesn't mean I can do anything. It doesn't mean that I can manufacture a noble thing to do or that I can come up with some exaggerated act of kindness and because I really want to do it, that I can go do it. If I could do anything, first place I'd go be to the Children's Hospital in Louisville. And I would go down there and I'd lay hands on all of those poor little souls so they could have normal bodies 
and ride bikes and tricycles and button buttons up and, and kneel to pray and swim and swim. I'd do whatever I could. If I could do anything, the Bible's full of miracles, isn't it? Doesn't it say we can do all things through Christ? But it does not mean that you can, apart from direction from Christ, just go do whatever you want to. Many people have tried that. It does not mean that in a church where we believe in divine healing, that anybody that comes forward is going to get healed. Now they could, I mean they should be able to, but it doesn't mean that you will. How many of you know that in the church at Corinth, in the church at Corinth, they had apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That is, they came behind in no gift, no ministry or no gift. In fact, 1 Corinthians is the nine spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And he spoke about this. And yet this church had had all these ministry gifts. I mean, I'm talking about some really super spiritual people and some very gifted saints, gifts of the Spirit. I mean, they worked there. And yet Paul said that, you know, because you all don't get along with each other, because there is squabbling and fighting, and because you pick and choose who's the best leader, and you surround yourself with an Apollos or with Paul or with Peter or, or whoever, and you've got in the church the ones that you think are better than the other ones, and you kind of hold yourself above others, and you don't have this really concern about others because, well, why would you want to listen to him when you can listen to my man over here? He said, these things have come into your church and they have nullified the power of these gifts. Well, the gifts are there. They just don't work because of conditions. Remember, we read at the communion table in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, there are those who are not rightly discerning the body of Christ. You're not seeing it. For you, the body of Christ is a little group that you're a part of, which is super above everybody else, and you're where it's at. Nobody else is where you are because you're where it's at. And he said, for this cause, in a church with healing gifts, for this cause, Paul writes that many are weak and sickly among you, and some sleep, that is, they died. Not only did they not get healed, but they died. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but that happens like that a lot. No man can manufacture a gift whenever he wants to. When it says I can do all things through Christ, it doesn't mean I can just operate in the gifts anytime I want to. Some people think you can. I remember years ago over in Illinois, a preacher hardly spoke to me on the last day because I didn't function in the gifts. Like I can just flip a switch and out they flow. I used to try that. When we first got saved, we all tried that. What, what gift you got? Oh, man, I got a couple tonight. We wouldn't say it that way, but we thought that way. We'd exercise our faith on each other. We'd prophesy to each other. Oh, God. And I saw the damage it did in one situation. I thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, God is big enough that if he wants me to do something spectacular or special like that, he's big enough to make me know that. You would agree? And if I never did any of that and nobody ever got cured by my hands being laid on them, that's not my work. And it didn't. That's God's work. 
I'm perfectly content to do what I'm doing, though it's not a very glamorous thing that I'm doing because everybody likes the prophet and the apostle and the healing gifts and the prophetic stuff. I'm really happy to do what I do. But I can't and you can't and nobody else can do anything you want to. But what he is saying, that whatever God directs you to do, maybe it's overcoming a personality trait. Maybe you're a mouthy, critical, unloving person, and God shows you that, and one day you break down and you realize you've been like that for so long and you can't pick up the phone without talking about somebody. I don't know how I could ever get over this. Or I've acted like this for so long, I don't think I could. But when you reach the end of that line and you recognize things in you that just not the way God wants them, and you begin to repent and ask for help daily, God, make me strong. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and guard the door of my lips that I might not sin against you. And then slowly but surely, God begins to pour this strength into your life. And you find yourself about to do what you used to do, and spirit checks your heart. And you say, mm, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you begin to change. You begin to grow. In essence, not only are you being purged, but remember that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Are you all there? Did you read that part? Let me ask you a question. Are you his? Are you his purchased possession? Okay, then if you are, I'm talking to you, okay? The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth. Some things are to honor and some things are to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be. You're not yet, but you can be. The very thing that's keeping you from saying, I can do all things through Christ, are the things you've got to be purged from. And it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or useful for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, is God doing that or not? Is he? Isn't this what he's supposed to be doing, among many other things? It is. And it comes all down to this. God says, there is something I want you to do that only by my strength you can do it or become that only by my strength you can become. Now, this is the way it works. I want to give you a picture of what you really like. There are good things about you. I put them in there when you were born. There's some things in there that you've allowed in that are corrupting you. They're like spots and wrinkles. They make you useless to me because they're keeping you from doing the way I want you to do it. Recognize, I'm going to show you what you're like. Repent. Turn away from these things. Purge yourself. Work on it. What does he say? Turn from iniquity at verse 19. It's self-rule, selfishness. Turn away from these things. If you will, you shall be. You shall be 
a vessel unto honor, set apart, and fit or useful for the master's use, and you will be prepared unto every good work. So if you're a young person here tonight, the next verse says flee. Flee youthful lust. Things that really bring you down and prevent you from being the kind of person you want to be that loads you up with guilt later. Follow righteousness, faith, love, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What can I do? I can do anything that God gives me to do, but I cannot even do that without his help. I can overcome. I can deal with flaws in my life, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with other people, my fears about failing, my fears about acceptance, or my bouts with loneliness, somebody would say, or whatever it is that causes people to withdraw, become despondent, turned inward, where you do learn to make excuses. Well, I can't do anything. Well, I'm not good enough. Well, God doesn't, you know, I don't ever experience that. Nobody. Everything that makes you a vain person, that is useless, God wants to deal with you, get all of that out. He don't want you to be a proud, puffed up person, but he wants you to be what he wants you to be. And he does that by exposing in you all these little things that keep you from doing that. Nobody's perfect. Turn to Moses chapter, uh, I know where I'm going. Moses chapter 14, Exodus. Moses 14, because I'm going to talk about Moses for a minute. You suppose God could use somebody that had a bad background? Could God use an alcoholic? Could God take somebody who was a really bad person, did a lot of really ugly stuff? Could he fix that? Could he cleanse that and use that? Couldn't he? Now, see, I never was an alcoholic. I never was caught, so I never was in jail. Believe me, I could have been, but I wasn't. And I had a lot of guilt growing up in my childhood. I had a lot of guilt. Because one thing the devil never lets you do is when you mess up, he never lets you forget. He never lets you forget. You're a Christian giving a testimony in your hometown, and in walks an old girlfriend from back when. And you go, oh, goodness gracious. Oh, my Lord. I, oh, we how to get out of here. You don't think that could happen, do you? Oh, Lord. But he forgives. And you're able to continue on and look some people straight in the eye and tell them about Jesus is because you're counting on him to get you through this. The devil does whatever he can to make you guilty so you'll quit. So you'll back up back off and say, I can't. But God says you can. I know he says I can, but I can't. I don't care what he says, I can't do this. I'm not able. That's what the devil wants you to do, so God can't use you. He wants you to back off and do those kind of things. All right, Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. Exodus 4. Now, God's called Moses to go deliver his people. Mighty Moses. And this is what Moses said. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, 
neither heretofore nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, for I am slow of speech and a slow tongue. Now, I can relate to that. I know what it's like to have a, a slow tongue, especially when the words you want to speak are clear in your mind and your tongue is fighting your mind. You laugh. I can't tell you the bitter tears I've cried. There's a thousand people at this Tennessee, Georgia camp. There was on this stage, there was Derek Prince, and here was a fellow named Mumford, and there was some of these nationally known speakers, and they wanted me to come up on a Sunday morning and read the scripture for that morning. But there were too many words in there that I couldn't pronounce. I could pronounce them. My mouth was not cooperating. I would have gone, I would have stood in front of a thousand people and said, and the Lord said unto Moses, then I would have clammed up right there. Everything would have tightened up. Just sensation of guilt. Where's the door? Get out of here. I quit. Run off and hide. People get over it. They'll forget it. In five years, they'll remember who you were. Oh. Man, and then you go and cry all day under a bush. Then come back the next day to the fellow. You said, I, I'm not going to do that. And you say, look, I... About not, I'm real, I'm sorry, I know you're probably thinking why I wouldn't do that. And I just went through all this little apologetic speech. The guy looks at me and he says, I don't know, I'm not sure what you're talking about. And I thought, man, I wasted a whole day crying for nothing. It's just part of the program. It's a long time ago before I ever got here. Just a long time ago, all day and all night running here, driving there, doing this, messing up there, messing up there. Many chances to quit. Can't speak. Not a good speaker. You mess up. People sometimes giggle because you slur your words. Have to almost carry a dictionary around to find out what is an alternative word I can use. In Annapolis, Indiana, years ago, I had a Bible study there. And my friend John was uh, with me. And I was making a point, and I was going to say about getting on the bandwagon. And I knew before I got to wagon, I was thinking about what I was going to say. My tongue said, I ain't saying wagon. I'm going to say, woo, woo, I ain't saying wagon. You don't know what I'm talking about, but I know what I'm talking about. I know what it's like to have a brain lock over a word, and here you are supposed to be the one who's given all this word out, and your mouth says, woo. People don't know if you're hurting, you got a pain in your body somewhere, you're trying to sing or what. People that stutter never stutter if they sing or they recite something in unison. I wasn't about to start singing what I was trying to say. On the bandwagon. I wasn't going to do that. You know what I did? I called it the band cart. <laughs> My buddy John was taking notes. He went. We got in the cart. He was over. He said, band cart? I said, I couldn't get that other word out. <laughs> Not just once in a while, but every week. Every week. I, to this day, as God Almighty is my witness, I still don't know why those people kept coming. I really don't. Except, it's not the vessel. It's not the performance. It's not verbal talents. It's God. 
It's God who takes the weakest one amongst us and makes us strong. The day is coming, it's probably here that our sons and our daughters are going to prophesy. They're not Bible scholars. They never done or accomplished any great thing, but God can take a pure and clean heart, take away the fears out of that young person's life, and they can prophesy. They're not trying to prophesy. They're just trying to serve and follow the Lord, and the words will come out. They may not come out the way you heard Mr. Prophesy or prophesy, but when those words come out, they will affect somebody's life or they will affect all of our lives. We'll all witness to it. We'll know that God has spoken. Your old man shall dream dreams. I'll be glad when I get his kind of dreams in my life instead of all these crazy ones. I mean, <laughs> night long dreams of just worthless stuff. Not vulgar dream, but just crazy stuff. I'm, maybe I'm practicing dreaming, getting ready for the, for the good ones. I don't know. But what can we do, folks? We can do all things through Christ. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, who made your mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go, G-O, and I will be with thy mouth and teach you what you shall say. Where does what you say come from if you're saying the right things? It comes from God, doesn't it? And he said, O Lord, Send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what ye shall do. That's about as clear as I could find it that all we have to do is to be willing to go and not limit ourselves or see your limitations and be willing anyway. Just be willing. Just be willing to go and to do. God wants us to be successful, doesn't he? Well, who makes us successful? You can be successful in the wrong way. You know, I've tried to tell people in all my life preaching, I've been blessed far more than I deserve, way more than I've ever, ever deserved. Never asked for money. We didn't take up offerings here. Never asked for it. Never made it a priority. Just believed God would supply our needs. Whenever a car came, I didn't have a job. I didn't have an eight to five like anybody else. Traveled every weekend somewhere. Sometimes you didn't get much. Sometimes you got more than you should. But he just kept supplying my needs. We got to the place where we truly, honestly, as God is my witness, we took no thought. It did not matter if anything came in. God doesn't need anything to come in anywhere to provide your needs. I'm telling you, folks, he could cause a kangaroo to escape. That thing could hop all the way to Shelbyville. And he could gag in your front door and all kinds of gold and silver come out of his mouth and have your name on it. See, you think, well, that's crazy. Well, look, of course it's crazy. God has made foolish the wisdom of men. 
We put God in a place where he has to do it a certain way. You can't have a house unless you borrow. You can't have a car without a loan. And years ago, we saw that I'm not going to do either one. And if I have a car to drive, God will give it to me. I'm not borrowing for nothing. I'm not spending money. I'm not the government. I'm not spending what I don't have. And I can say today that he has done that. I even one time made a little contract with God. I wrote down houses plural in Deuteronomy 8. Houses plural. And stop recently to think, you know, I've had that. God has blessed me with a lot of things. Not because I tried to get it, not because I manipulated. One woman called me one time in 1970, I think it was five, and heard that I was bleeding for an airplane. Wanted to know how much they cost. And I couldn't tell her. Well, I knew what, I had a big figure in my mind, I wanted to blurt it out, but I thought, I'm not gonna use anybody. And I wouldn't tell her. Bonnie said, next time, let me have the phone. <laughs> she said, I'll tell her. And she said, well, can I send you $10,000? Would that be all right? I said, well, you know, that's up to you. I said, well, if you want to. And she did. There's just something that God tests our hearts along the way all the time. Giving away things you thought you worked so hard to get that you, would you give it away? Would you walk away from it? Would you walk away from your car, your house, or the comfort zone that you have to go somewhere you'd never be comfortable again? Would you do that? Well, you can do that through Christ if that's the will of God. Nothing will work if it's out of God's will. But in part of the purging and learning process, God shows you things about how to know his will and how to relate to him and understand him and all of that. God wants us to be successful in coping with weaknesses and problems and pressures, to be successful in our lives as parents, as church members, as professing Christians, to be successful in living this life right, in walking in, as the Bible says, letting our lights shine, not our foolishness, but letting our lights shine so that others will see. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. The church is just not a thing to do, a socially proper thing that good people do once or twice a week. Church is a teaching center. It's where God brings and assembles his people to teach them. And yet the church has become so bored with teaching, nobody wants it. It has become a show now. The great choir, the great architects of the building. The more thousands of people you can put in here, the more people assume that it's God. They're very seldom ever taught. Their lives very seldom ever change. They still live with each other. They still have immoral practices with each other. They still do their social drinking, have their parties. They do that and they get by with it. They soon think that it's okay because they harden their heart and the conscience gets pricked. And you're sitting in death. I know how that sounds, but I've been there. I know what happens. If somebody doesn't teach me, if I'm not stirred by God in some way, then I will live the rest of my life saying, well, I don't think anybody could just do whatever the Lord told him to do. Somebody has to teach you, you can do all things 
through Christ because he's the one who pours his strength in you that enables you to do whatever he has given you to do or overcome every flaw and every weakness in your life so that you can become the kind of person that you should be. I can do that. In spite of my past, in spite of my sins, in spite of all those vulgar and ornery and nasty flashbacks I've had in my life, I've been forgiven. I don't have to go back there ever again. I can be a loving and kind person. I really can. I can escape a lot of things that used to keep me in a dark mood for half a week because I can do all things through Christ. I can stop being defeated. I can begin to realize that he leads me daily in his triumph. You know, the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, he leads me daily in his triumph, daily, every single day. And when you say that, people say, well, now, not every day. What? Well, okay, go back to 2 Corinthians. I don't like to argue from the pulpit, but for your sake, I will. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who oftentimes, always causes what? Let me tell you something. You cannot always triumph of yourself. But he, God, can cause you to triumph anywhere. In a jungle, in a church building, at a fair, in a community, in your home, with your neighbor, he can cause you to triumph because he's God. This is what he does. This is what God does. He causes us to triumph daily. Does your Bible say daily? Causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. People will know that God has been there. Now, before I go to part two and part three, which won't take as long, go back to Philippians. Again, chapter four. Paul, in writing of his weaknesses and his difficulties and the things that he had to overcome, we were reading as our text, verse 13. Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you also are careful, but you lacked opportunity. That is, I'm glad that you're now concerned about my needs being met. You're concerned for me. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, and while I say that, look in verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but what does he desire? Fruit that abounds to your account. It's not the money or the gift that you bring me that that's what I want. It's the fact that when you give, God blesses you for it. So go back to, to that verse again, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned, this is a process, in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. I can do all things through Christ. This 
is a man that God can use because he will never, by bitterness and complaining and crying, he'll never quit and go back. I know how to abound. You know how to abound? You know how to be abased? Did you quit? When the world rejects you, when people thought you were wrong, people mocked you, made fun of you, cast you out of their presence, didn't vote for you at school? It's not fair if you'd left Jesus out of your life, you'd have been somebody. You took a stand. You let Christ have your life. You spoke the right words. You avoided things you shouldn't as a Christian do or people you shouldn't be around or events you shouldn't be a part of. You made a good call. Your parents think you're wrong. Your friends think you're foolish. You made a good call because you got a conviction now about life and living it the right way. And Paul said, I know how to abound. I don't need your money. It would help if I had it, but I don't need it because I can do with it. I can do without it. I've been hungry. I've been full. I know how to be content. I'm not going to fold up and quit because I'm having a bad day. I'm not going to fold up and quit because I went to the post office this morning. Not only was there no check in the mail, there wasn't even any mail in the mail. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to praise the Lord that God is allowing me to go through some things to prove to him that I am reliable, that I am useful, that I truly am set apart, that I am truly fit for the master's use. That none of these things persuade me. None of these things throw me off course. None of these things make me give up and quit. I am in it for the long haul. Go back to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. What a wonderful truth. All you end time workers of the gospel, listen to this. God is able. God is able to do what? God is able to make all grace or favor abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Should you? Is this what he said? Then let me encourage you. Expect this to happen. Expect it to. God can make a little last a long time, or he can make a little go a long way, or he can make a little stay a little. I read a story today about a lady that's going to feed her family, and her husband brought three or four guys some work to witness to, brought them home, and they didn't have enough food for everybody, so she laid her hands on the pot. You know the rest of the story. Father, in the name of Jesus, make it work. And every time he'd dip out food, there'd be more food in the pot. Everybody got full, and the pot was still full. Well, I don't know if I believe it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. They still got enough to eat. It still works. Your unbelief doesn't nullify this. Any more than your agreement with the word means it's got to work. You can say, I believe the Bible all you want to. And it might just be words on a paper. It's when God puts you out there where that's all you got. That's all you got. 
ink on the paper. The night is long, the child is sick, the bills are coming in, and all you've got is that verse of Scripture in a Bible that you don't know anybody else that believes it. You have nobody's testimony that ever did that, and it worked, and that's all God gave you. And you do is, I hope you've done this, you put your finger on that verse, lay your hand on your checkbook or on your body, your children's body. I remember times we have done this. Laid our, Bonnie and I laid our hands, put our finger on Matthew 18. If any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask it shall be done. We put our finger on that verse, laid a hand on our child and say in the name of Jesus. A difficult situation. And the natural look really, really yucky. We did the very thing they put you in jail today for doing, and the child gets healed. What do you think that does to your, to your life? See, every time you take a step or two forward, walking with God, he strengthens you. He strengthens you. He makes you sure and steadfast and immovable. You're not afraid your feet are going to slide because he is able to keep you from falling. See, you're beginning to take those little steps, and those steps encourage you. They make you strong. You begin to realize you can do all things through Christ. Amen. Secondly, how can I do all these things? Simply one word, Jesus. I can do all things through Jesus. Jesus. I've never seen his face. I've never audibly heard his voice. I did not see him rise from the dead. I've only read about it. I've heard it, stories about it. People talk about it. But I believe it. People who say, well, I need more proof than that, they'll never get it. Because the people that are going to serve the Lord are going to take it by faith. Well, let's go back to this thing again about Jesus. It's all about in him we live, this is Acts 17, 28, in him we live and we move and we have our being. If we are anything that is acceptable to God, it is because of what we are in Christ. I have made a decision with my will, I have embraced a truth and I have decided to agree with God that his word is true and I want to demonstrate my agreement by acting like the word is true. I want to live as though it's true. I want to act like, as he said it, it's going to be, it's already happened. And not many people anywhere on this earth will do that. They all know he could, they all know he has, they all know he's able, but they're not sure he will. But something about Jesus, the more you fellowship with him, you walk with him, and you dedicate more and more of your life and your personality to him and you overcome things and refinement begins to kick in and you begin to see things. Jesus begins to, John the Baptist, he must increase and we must, why? Because that's where our strength is. That's our message. Our whole life is Christ. In him we live and we move and have our being. Otherwise, we're just members of a big end time church that's got a lot to offer a lot of people that are not feeling good. We got ministries, we got 20,000 members in our church. I don't know where the rest of them are tonight, but 
but we got 20,000 members in our church. We got a church complex, a building. We got campuses. It's like a town. Everybody's got a place to go. Everybody gets something to do. Everybody is made to feel like I am doing what God wants me to do. And maybe some of them are. Maybe they really are. Maybe they are. I hope so. Folks, it's not about a church. It's not about a preacher. It's all about Jesus. It's Jesus. Emmanuel. God in the flesh. God with us. It's Jesus who came to this earth, who made this earth, who chose from the foundation of the world who his people were. Choices. What if I told you tonight that if you're genuinely his, he picked you before you ever were? And when the day came that you got saved, if you really are, he set into motion things that caused you to have a broken heart. Godly sorrow came in your life and you got saved. Now, you contrast that with people who just joined church because, you know, you were raised in church. You should, everybody should go to church. You should have a testimony in the church. You should teach Sunday school, and that's a socially right thing to do. And a lot of people do that. Contrast that who are satisfied with just church activities with somebody who's devoted to Jesus Christ. The church gets worried about you. I remember back in the Christian church, they didn't mind us going forward one Sunday, a hundred of us. They didn't expect anything to happen, but when it did happen, and the whole attitude and atmosphere of the church began to be charged with, with the love for Jesus Christ, some of the older members who were dead, they were really bothered by it. I told you too many stories about saying amen out loud and how people were really troubled by that. Turn to John 15 about Jesus being the one that we can do all things through. He's it, verse 4, 15 and 4. Red letters means that Jesus said this, Abide in me, and I in you. That's a personal relationship. It's your choice. He doesn't make you do it. He says to do it. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Can you bear fruit? You can bear fruit that people like, but you can't do anything that God commends unless you did it because he wanted you to. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that has a relationship with me, that is, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me. You can do nothing. Listen, you can be a noted preacher and do all the things that people admire and regard as the right thing to do. It's when you step out of that comfort zone and you begin to lay hands on the sick or you begin to give up some kind of an opportunity in order to serve God or you begin to back away from doing things you used to do with smoking, drinking, parties, the derby party, or maybe you begin to withdraw from all that stuff because you no longer have a conscience that gives you the freedom to do that. That's when people in the big system begin to think, what's wrong with you? Because you see, your convictions are bringing guilt. And not many people are willing to be identified as a troublemaker. Yet you're not a troublemaker. Now, I've been here. I don't know what I'm saying. You just found a brand new life and a whole new reason for living, and you never, ever had it before. 
And it's so simple because all you have to do is love Jesus, surrender to him, find out what he wants you to do, and then do it with all your heart. And the people who are unwilling to do that are bothered by you doing that. But Jesus said, without me, I don't care what you preach. I don't care what church you go to. Without me, you can do nothing. Look also at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. What does it say? Ask what you will, and it shall be done. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Let God be your sufficiency. Trust the Lord. Just say, if God said I was healed at the cross, I am. If God said he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, he will. Because if he won't, then this book has lied to me. He did not change his mind. I don't need some unbelieving preacher to say, well, now we know that he said that, but that's not what he meant. That's what he said. I've been there. I've had to make a lot of decisions in my life to walk away from a lot of situations and lose a lot of friends because I did not want to compromise my convictions by agreeing with somebody in order to be their friend. I don't want to be cantankerous, contentious, and difficult, but I sure, if I'm being put to the test, I sure want God to find me faithful. You too. Thirdly, finally. When can I do all these things? Very simple. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when you believe. You can quote the Bible your whole life. If you don't believe, it'll never work. Let me prove that. Romans 1 and verse 16. Would you look there first? Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. All of you that were once Baptists, you know that verse well. First preacher that really got me hooked on the word was a Baptist preacher. The day after I got saved, my preacher went on a two weeks vacation, and I like to wore that Baptist preacher out. He's a big basketball fan, so Brother Poor at the American Baptist Church went down and sat down him. He started pouring these tracks into me and telling me things, and I couldn't get enough of it. Boy, I couldn't get enough of it. Tell me more. I got to go eat. No, don't eat. Just keep talking. No, it wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad? Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To whom? Can I say this? Is this controversial? The gospel is not the power of God for salvation to anybody who does not believe it. So believe becomes the big word. Now, what does it mean? I'm not going to go into that tonight. That's a whole wonderful hour. What does it really mean to believe? Does it mean to mentally accept as true what God said? Anybody can do that. To acquiesce, to mentally agree, to side with the word. The word is true. The leather on the back of the book is a genuine leather. That's true. That's the real deal. Believe it? What do you believe? You believe you can do all things through Christ? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you believe you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? Oh, I, 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 I uh, uh, do I believe that? Um, well, we don't do that here. It doesn't matter what you do here. Do you believe that? It'll never work if you don't believe it. You believe that you can overcome all things? You think you can triumph daily in Christ and put the devil under your feet? Do you believe you can become the kind of person God wants you to become? It doesn't happen because you say yes. It doesn't happen because you say amen. It happens if you believe it. Believing is you taking your will, embracing God's word, and saying, I am counting on God to do what he said. This doesn't make it true, does it? My faith never has made the word true because the word is true whether you believe it or not. What my faith does is bring me into the benefits of this book. I begin to experience. This is where my strength, my encouragement, my stature, my growth comes because I believe. I believe that if God said I, a weakling of all weaklings, can do all things through Christ, then I can. Can God deliver me from stuttering? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. If you believe that and you still stutter, why you, do you keep preaching? You think you ever wonder if it'll ever stop? You think you'll ever get over that? I've been there. I used to think, when are you going to do it? Then I would realize. I'd get a tape next month. They would say, quit asking when. God didn't give you a calendar when he gave you faith. Live like it's true. Live like it's true. One day I realized when I preached the whole night, somebody said, you didn't stutter. I said, I didn't? No, everything was perfectly smooth and plain. An old friend who heard me years ago came up and said, when did you quit stuttering? And I said, I just kept preaching. I guess I just kept talking so much, the stuttering got out, and just somehow fell aside. I don't know. It just kept going. How about your marriage? Can you believe for a good mate, you that are not there yet, or you're there, but can you believe it happened? Well, i tell you what I believe. I believe mama and daddy, especially daddy, ought to go get you a husband. And whoever he hauls in the house is who you ought to marry. Well, I really don't believe that, but they used to do it that way. Do you believe you can be a virtuous woman, you girls? You believe you can? God says you can. You believe you can be a man of God, loving your wife the way she ought to be loved? Daddy and your children the way they ought to be daddied? You think you can work an honest day's work and give your employer the same kind of time you'd give Jesus if he was your employer? You can do all things through Christ. You can become what you need to be. You can arrive at where you need to arrive. All those filthy things in your past, if you're a Christian, all the junk and the nasty, vulgar stuff you ever did is behind you. As far as the east is from the west, it's been taken from you. You are free now to walk the way God wants you to walk. And you really can do all things through Christ. One more verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 
For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Because when you in Shelbyville Christian Assembly received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of Brother Tom, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which does what? It does something in whom? But it all depends on whether or not you believe. We need an hour's teaching on the word believe. Maybe later. That's where God brings us tonight. We're coming down to the end. I believe this. Coming down to the end. God's people have to get ready. We can't be caught unawares or caught asleep. We know that church is going to be sleeping the last days because ten virgins were. Five of them made it and five of them didn't because five of them weren't ready. But as we come down to the end, we've got to realize that the big thing that we have to do is to be found faithful. The one thing God says to those who make it is, well done, thou good, and not attendee, not member of a church. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus told a father whose child was having an epileptic seizure. The father said, if thou canst do anything, help my child. Jesus said in the Greek text, if thou canst, all things are possible to those who believe. And one thing everybody in this room tonight can do is believe because everybody has a will. You can make a choice to say, I'm taking you at your word, or you can make a choice to say, well, I'd like to, but I'm not ready for it. That's your choice. One of them is faith. The other one is a bad choice. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we can truly experience in this church, individually, whoever we are, wherever we are, the meaning of that night and that breaking up, broken down ship that Paul was in when he said, I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. We need that. Because if we get there and we have that, no weapon that will ever be formed against us in this life will ever prosper. Because we'll overcome it. Because the victory that overcomes the world, you've said, is our faith. Therefore, I ask you to bless all of those that are here tonight. Take the word deep as you can in each one of them's heart and life. May it do the work you designed it to do that you gave it to do in each one of us. May you be pleased with our lives in the days ahead. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.